Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Well, here we are. We made it out of 2020. Like, who would have thought? Good news. We averted a government shutdown, and I was able to go on my National Parks trip, which was incredible. So thank you so much to, like, Congress and Mitch McConnell for just, like, keeping everything afloat while I, you know, got my trip out of the way. Do you think you're, like, off the government watch list now? I don't know if I'll ever be off the government watch list. Like... They have me on, like, top priority, I think, after coming from Mitch McConnell's head like that. What did you do for New Year's? I didn't even ask you. Oh, my God, nothing. Thank you. Saw you were at the beach. Oh, yes. A lovely, lovely walk, a moment in time. Like, so eventful. No, it was, like, didn't do anything. It was, like, COVID safe. So it wasn't, it wasn't wild, but I will be upfront. New Year's is, like, my least favorite holiday. Yeah, I've literally only had like two good New Year's. Mostly though, like the, it just doesn't live up to the hype. Like you expect New Year's just be this like magical, fun night with fireworks and kissing a hot dude at midnight, but like it never happens that way. I've never had a New Year's kiss except for like my best friend who is a female. (laughs) A classic. I'm trying to, oh, I have, I have. You know what I was thinking about? Did you see on Netflix, they did that like 2020 recap. I just like walked past my roommates were watching it. And I was like, that was literally the show we did. They like went through each event, added some commentary and like went through all of 2020. I'm like, copiers, it's rude. Damn, we have got some frauds up in here. Like some literal, mm. okay, well. I actually live like two miles from the Netflix headquarters. So Maybe I should slide on over and talk my shit. And be like, excuse me, knock on their door. I'm, I'm here to uh, speak with the manager. You know, just pull a little Karen moment. But wait, I didn't watch that yet. I'm curious. I'm going to do a little compare and contrast. I like Need More Funny because I watched Bridgerton. Oh, I just started one episode of that. Obviously, you've met the Duke. I'm assuming the hottest man of all time. Like, I just don't understand. Like, I literally, who built that? Like, who, I just cannot. Literally. But speaking of hot, like, specimens of men, there's actually two men I want to talk about. First, I'm going to talk about Matt James, who's the new Bachelor. And I actually am a little hungover today because that premiere happened last night, and my friend Serena's on the show. Go Serena C. And he is just, he reminds me of the Duke. They kind of look like, like, they're both just snacks. Oh my god, you're so right. It's that jawline. Oh, incredible. But the other man that caught my eye today was John Ossoff. 
I was watching CNN, you know, Georgia runoffs election is happening today. People are voting today as we record this. And I was just watching CNN and John Ossoff like came on my screen and I was like, is he a zaddy? I mean, I think part of you is having like a Georgia love moment. I'm caught up in the hype. Totally. Like it's a hype moment. It's like Steve Kornacki. Like we love the khakis in the moment. You can't, you cannot tell me John Ossoff is not... Okay, sometimes he's a little bit scrawny. Okay, I'm looking at Google images right now. There's some that I'm like immediately know, and there's some that I'm like, okay. Oh my God, wait, look at this one. Oh, zaddy, zaddy moment. He's the cute hot. Yeah, I think he's definitely hot. Like that's kind of the politician hot that you get. They're not usually bachelor status hot dudes. Have you seen Mitt Romney? Mitt, Mitt can get it. And, like, honestly, like, I know he's not exactly the most popular man in town right now, but, like, Gavin Newsom's still freaking hot. We, we suck. But <laughs> let's introduce our guest. Would you like to introduce her? Yes, yes, yes. We are super, super excited to introduce our guest of the hour, which is Representative Brianna Tatone, who is the representative for the Colorado House District 27. So we are going to dive right in. We are so excited to have you on the show. So we want to kick it off, get to know you, get to know your role. So what is your position and who do you represent? Yeah, well, I am state representative in House District 27, and that's a suburb of Denver in northern Jefferson County. And I represent the people there. It's about 88,000 people. I'm mostly in the city of Arvada, and I represent them at the state and in the House of Representatives. That's amazing. We like love a little Colorado moment. I personally am like dying to go, but freaking COVID has to get in the way. But regardless, what inspired you to run for office? Was any of that background part of that conversation or were there sort of other influences that pushed you along into this journey? Well, you know, I, I never really thought I'd be in politics, honestly. It was something that kind of just, you know, the wind blew me in that direction. I was always someone who wanted to do things for the community. And that's really where Public office really seemed to make sense for me. I was a volunteer firefighter when I was 16, and I did that for seven years and really just learned that, you know, helping the community and, and just using your time to make uh, the place where you are a better place is something that we should all really do a little bit of, of and, and we can all really make a big contribution. And as a scientist, you know, I did see that there weren't a lot of people in politics that were scientists. So I thought that that was something that, you know, I could bring to the table. And that was one of the skills that I thought that I, I brought when I ran. But yeah, I was, I wanted to be an FBI special agent. That's really what I wanted to do before I got into politics, but it didn't end up working out. So I ended up, you know, becoming an activist and then activism led to running for office. Someone said, Hey, you should run for office. And I was like, what, really? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know, I wasn't really convinced at the time when, when I was asked, but 2017 was a turning point for trans people because that was the first year that uh, a trans person had won a state election. That was Danica Rome in Virginia. And I declared to run soon after she won because I said, oh, at least somebody's done it before. It was, up until then, it was impossible. So I wasn't sure I could do it. Yeah. 
I love that. I mean, we talk about all the time, just in general, like women running too, and you know, LGBTQ members like need to see other people doing it, and it really is like a domino effect of getting other people to take the leap, and that's amazing. You know, you're also on a few committees. We talk a lot about committees here. We have a few episodes covering all the topics that come with committees, but namely the health insurance, rural affairs, and agriculture, and joint technology committees. So could you tell us a bit about the issues that you're tackling in each of those and really what kind of issues come across your desk in that committee? Yeah, well, in the 72nd General Assembly, those were my assignments. I did change one. So now I'm on the Energy and Environment Committee instead of the uh, Rural Affairs and Agriculture Committee. But I was on the Rural Affairs and Agriculture Committee because I'm a hydrogeologist and my expertise is kind of in water. And we talk a lot about water in those committees because that's uh, where a lot of the stakeholders that really care about water are. Similarly, now that I'm on the Energy Environment Committee, we also care about water. We care about the water quality and air quality and a lot of the things that I also have a lot of knowledge about. So I I feel pretty pretty good in, in that new committee. to to make sure I'm bringing my scientific expertise to the conversation that's happening there. The health and insurance committee, I didn't really know a whole lot about health insurance, just just that I had it and I was paying for it. And, And you know, it's really complicated. It's a very, very complex topic. And most common thing that I hear from my constituents are are a lot of healthcare related things. Why is my insurance company not covering this? What what is going on here? Why can't I do that? And so, you know, learning about what really goes on and understanding how the whole system really works, I'm able to really help my constituents figure that out. So not a topic I wanted to be an expert in, but I'm becoming an expert in that the more time I spend on these committees. And you know, we're making really good decisions that are helping lower the costs of healthcare for, for people in Colorado and you know expanding healthcare coverage all sorts of different things so one of my bills this year is about a mental wellness exam so just like you get a physical we're going to make it so that way you get a mental wellness exam just like a physical every single year which we don't have and it's really important so these are these are the things uh, that we really are talking about in those committees and then the joint technology committee just a bunch of nerds talking about technology stuff. And I also have a degree in software development. So I know a little bit about that topic. And we talk a lot about the big projects that are going on in the state, you know, where we're gonna change our technologies or evolve things and move things forward into the 21st century. And we help the joint budget committee make the, the money decisions on where to spend money in the most appropriate way. Cause the budget people are, they're talking about lots of different things and they need some, some trusted experts that can help them understand those really complex topics. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like each thing is so layered, even just trying, I was trying to ask you that question. I mean, what a great answer that you gave of like literally divvying up each bucket because each one on its own could be its own episode. It could be its own novel. But I, I especially love what you guys are working on in terms of mental health and those evaluations. We actually are releasing an episode this week, aka to everyone listening, chime, please listen, but with a therapist talking about how to talk about politics with other people and how to have conversations and how to just generally have a healthy state of being in this crazy world these days. And so trying to normalize that is 
a whole undertaking. So it's really nice to see that from the lens of government that that is becoming something that's not only talked about, but a priority. So I love learning about that. That's amazing. Yeah, mental health is is a is a really a big topic, not just in Colorado, but everywhere. COVID has really kind of put it forefront because people are really stressed out. They're lonely. There's there's a lot of uh, people struggling right now, and you know suicide rates are are on the rise. And these are things that we're always trying to help fix and try to raise awareness to people about you know how they can help each other. Because when it comes to mental health, it's about you know helping each other and, and be, being a community member who understands what mental health problems look like. We can really help solve that problem because we have more people paying attention to it. Yeah, that's awesome. So we definitely want to talk a lot about LGBTQ legislation and different policies we can pass. But first, before we even get there, like what is the transgender rights movement? Can you kind of divulge a little bit about that for our listeners who maybe aren't exposed to it or don't know much about it? Yeah, well, you know, the, the trans movement is kind of an, a subset of the LGBT movement. And, you know, we, we often throw LGBTQ around and you know, a lot of the times the T gets overlooked or really not focused on. And oddly, you know, the, the LGBTQ movement really started, you know, around the time of Stonewall uh, 50 years ago. And it was really the, the, the people who were front and center on it were black trans women and trans women of color. And they were the ones that didn't have rights most of the time that, you know, gay, cisgender men and uh, women were getting their rights, trans people were still being demonized, put back in the closet, and, and really ridiculed for a very long time. So the trans rights movement is kind of just a movement similar to what's happened for a lot of the other people in the LGBT community. And it's really just trying to eliminate the discrimination and the violence that transgender people face. Also, you know, they're really particularly in housing and employment, public accommodations, education, healthcare. These are places that we still see pretty widespread discrimination. And uh, we're trying to break those uh, barriers down by making uh, things more inclusive and make sure that the languages. And, you know, when we talk about transgender people, we really are talking about non-binary people too. And they're not really included in the LGBTQ, like where are they? You have to expand it out to the LGBTQIA plus, you know, but non-binary people are very important as well. And they're, they don't have a, a big voice. And, you know, we try to include non-binary people in with trans community a lot because we need to take everyone along with us, you know, we don't want to leave people behind. Uh, we don't want to just have rights for one group over the other, because that's what, we, that's what we had happened to begin with. And that's why we're here. Absolutely. I think that background is really important, sort of knowing what the story is previously and where we're going moving forward. So that kind of leads us to the next question, which is what is the Equality Act? There, I feel like that's a, a name that gets thrown a lot, around a lot, but like what actually is it? Well, the Equality Act is uh, a bill that's been running through the House of Representatives in Congress and it was H.R. 5S788, which is the actual designation. And it's really kind of the same basic thing that we were talking about with, with 
trans people, but this is like an overarching anti, you know, non-discrimination protections for LGBT people and, and, you know, focusing really on the employment, housing, credit, education, public spaces and services, and all of those kinds of things. And just making sure that we're building that into the federal law, because right now it's a hodgepodge of protections that people have. You know, if you're in Colorado, you have a lot of great protections here because we've worked hard over the years to put a lot of those into place. So if you come here or you move here to Colorado, you get all of those protections. But if you go to, you know, Utah or Wyoming or Kansas, you're not going to get the same rights. You're going to have different rules that apply to different states. So when we put those things into an act in Congress, we can put it into federal law and that blankets all of the states all at once. So it kind of fixes a lot of the issues that a lot of states have been working on in little bits and pieces. And it just kind of solves the problem with big, big broad brush stroke. So we just get it all done. Yeah, totally. And for the next question, what is Jude's law? Yes. Well, Jude's law was a law that I was actually trying to promote when I, before I became a, a politician, before I ran for office. And what it does is it helps trans people get their name changed in a more efficient way. And there were a lot of barriers that were in place for trans people to get their name changed and their birth certificate changed too. So if you wanted to get your birth certificate, you were born in Colorado and you wanted to get your birth certificate changed, the law says you have to have gender confirmation surgery before you can get your birth certificate changed. And it's none of anybody's business whether you do that or not. And you know, you shouldn't have to divulge your your medical history to people just to, you know, make your identity more affirmed. So we changed it so that wasn't a requirement for people to have to do. And then in the process of doing that, we also changed some of the law to make it easier for people to get their name changed. So you don't have to go publish your name change in the newspaper, which a lot of states require. And, you know, anytime you change your name, the idea is that, well, are you changing it because you're trying to run away from somebody or you're trying to, you have a debt that you don't want to pay and you want to like disappear. Well, trans people don't want their old self to be haunting them or to out them. And, you know, that's, that could be dangerous. If there's people that are out there that happen to see it and say like, oh my goodness, you know, that person who, you know, who lives down the street from me is trans and, you know, they're, they don't like trans people, they could go make their life miserable. So it's really a protection uh, for trans people to have. And, it, and the reason why it's called Jude's Law is because uh, there was a young uh, trans girl who was 11 when she started testifying on the bill. And she testified on the bill five times before it finally became law. So in the last year that we heard the bill, and I got to hear the bill and vote on it, Jude was there, and we, we named the, the bill after Jude because she was such a brave young, young woman who, who really put herself out there uh, to try to help so many other people. That's amazing especially like being so involved at such a young age and knowing like, yes, we are fighting for something so important. I know too, with 
the name publishing is super hard. My dad had to do it. And it was like, felt like, oh my gosh, there's now a red flag out there to everyone and their mother that like, I'm doing this. Not to mention the cost of doing it is also like, not exactly the coolest thing in the book. So the law itself is super cool. And so interesting to me as an example for other states. So I really hope to see that continue to take note and traction and sort of to Maddie, your point earlier of sometimes you need the example for the dominoes to fall. So I really like, I, when I read about this, I was super excited to know about it. So I only hope that there are more laws like this put into place. Yeah. Well, moving forward, now that we have our, you know, foundational understanding of all of this, we definitely want to kind of get deeper into it. And so you are the first openly transgender state legislator elected in Colorado. There were also a number of notable elections this November with transgender candidates. So can you tell us a bit um, about why like this is so momentous and what we're really seeing across the country really with just the people who are really stepping up to finally like run for office and get like equal representation in our government. Yeah, I mean, it's been really exciting to see so many candidates who've been running, especially trans candidates. And I mean, it was only 2017 when we had the first trans person was elected to state government. Also that year, there were a couple other people that were voted into to city councils. There were a couple other people that were mayors and things like that that were elected before that really didn't get a lot of of attention and you know it's just really starting to you know the media is starting to pay attention to it which is really helpful because there there have been really big wins that haven't really been known about and when people understand that you know we're out here doing a job and we're doing it just like everyone else, it really helps people to say like, oh, well, yeah, there's a a trans person who is a legislator and the job is done just as good as anybody else would do it and maybe even better. (laughs) And and that's just, you know, sets an example. It, It helps people, you know, begin to accept people like us because we're not scary people we're, we're not, you know, a mystery, you know, we're just regular people just trying to do a job. There were, there was, there was one in 2017, there were four of us in 2018, then in 2020, now that there are seven and there's one non-binary person as well in a bunch of different states. And that's really exciting because, you know, they see what's happening. They, they see one of us do it and then they say, yeah, I can do it too. And you know, the, the dominoes really start to fall and people understand that representation matters. When you have the representation there, you know, your voice is being heard there because someone like me is actually at the table where I wasn't before. And I'm just one person, but you know, a lot of people rely on me to, to try to push the, 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 the ideas out there and make sure that other people know. And I work on talking to other people in other legislatures because people think that they don't know a trans person, but you know, they do now. They, they know a lot of other trans people and we're doing great stuff. And that's what's important for people to know. Totally. That's amazing. And I also, it's just so crazy to, to say that the first was in 2017 and look at how many dominoes have fallen already. It's just, it's super exciting. And hopefully that just trend continues 
to happen throughout the years and throughout the rest of these elections. That's super exciting. Quick break. Looking to make a statement and make a change as we head into the new year? Check out Social Goods, an online store that offers a curated slate of statement-making merchandise that gives back to nonprofits tackling today's most pressing issues. From the Jed Foundation and Fair Fight Action to Planned Parenthood of Greater New York, She Should Run, and more. Best of all, we've partnered with Social Goods to offer a special discount to our listeners. Go to social-goods.com and use the code GIRLINTHEGOV15 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. That's social-goods.com and code GIRLINTHEGOV15. That's Social Goods, where every transaction comes with real action. And now moving sort of the needle over to some specific legislation that I know you've been working on. So you're the prime sponsor of the Gay Panic Transgender Panic Defense Bill. But can you explain a little bit more about the background of the bill and like what what's its general purpose? Yeah, well, a lot of people probably heard of Matthew Shepard. You know, he was murdered because someone found out that he was gay and they freaked out and they murdered him. and you know, they used this defense to try to get off on the charges. And I think they, they got a lesser charge than they would have before. There was another case in Colorado, at least a couple that, that we know of that happened here in Colorado, that, you know, the same kind of thing happened where uh, a trans woman went on a date with somebody and they, you know, didn't know they were trans. And then they found out and they just like snapped and this is this panic defense that's used in court. And, you know, this isn't acceptable. You know, it's just, you, you don't get to just murder somebody or brutally beat them because you find out something about them that you may not like. That, that's no justification uh, for that kind of thing to happen. So this defense, which has been approved in a few other states before Colorado, it says that, you know, if you're in a courtroom and you have a case that's an assault or a murder case like this, you can't use this as a defense for your behavior and to what you did to somebody because that's just not acceptable. It has nothing to do with the case itself. So this bill started out as a house bill. And when we were running it through, it got halfway through before the pandemic hit. And then when the pandemic hit, we, we took a little bit of a break and we came back. And when, when we came back from the break, we tried to get rid of a lot of bills to speed things up because we wanted to abbreviate what, what our work was. And the gay panic defense bill was actually one of the bills that was killed. And I was particularly upset about it. And I wrote uh, a letter to the sponsors and to the Senate president and say, like, why did you do this? This is unacceptable. It happened to be around the time when protests were happening outside the building for George Floyd. And, you know, it was the Black Lives Matter movement. And the one group of people who are really murdered the most are trans women who are, who are Black. And they need everything that we can do to help them and to protect them. So when, when I heard Black Lives Matter outside the building, you know, Black trans lives matter really resonated with me. And I said, you know, if we're going to do things in this building that are relevant to what's happening outside, we need to pass this bill. So I 
requested and pleaded and got all the stakeholders to, to talk to leadership to bring the bill back. And they decided to bring it back. And we brought it back and it went through very, very quickly. And it was almost completely unanimous. There was only one no vote in the entire General Assembly, which is really, really interesting because, you know, the Republican Party doesn't tend to vote a lot on LGBTQ rights and issues. But what's unique about this issue is that it's more of, of, of a justice issue. So, you know, making sure that criminals who are doing bad stuff don't get away with things. So this is a law and order bill as much as it is an LGBTQ rights bill. And, you know, that's, that's an important bipartisanship issue that we can really, you know, talk about the same kinds of things. It doesn't matter who is being victimized. We don't want people to get away with murder, quite literally. So we were able to pass that with no problem. And that was a really big win for me because I don't usually do a lot of LGBTQ bills because my district is so tight in terms of how much I win by. There's a lot of conservative people in my district and I try not to run things that you know, are really partisan type issues. I try to run things that are helpful to everybody. But this particular bill, I, I didn't mind putting my name as prime sponsor on because I knew it was going to be some bill that we could pass through with, with a lot of bipartisan support. And I mean, I was kind of amazed it was only one no vote out of all of them. And I got to talk to that guy about why he voted no. Yeah, we need some answers from him. Oh my gosh. Let's get like a little interrogation going. Speaking of law and order. But I think that's like a really interesting lens to look at in terms of the Republican Party and thinking of it as like a law and order party, at least in this current viewpoint of like how we think about the party and how that can actually impact something like this. That's definitely an interesting way to think about things. And with that, sort of our next question in terms of more legislation. So Colorado, the state approved using an X marker on the driver's license in addition to using the traditional RF for male and female. You sort of speak to what this change enables, what freedoms it essentially gives people. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, the kind of thing uh, that was attached actually to Jude's law as well. And, you know, there's, we talked about non-binary people before and, you know, they don't want to be M, they don't want to be F. And allowing the X on the, on the driver's license and on birth certificates too, we have a few of those, that really kind of opens up the conversation for all of the things that we see in life that we don't really think much about. You know, when you have an application, there's the M and F box and that's the only thing that's there. So you know, this caused the state of Colorado to go through a lot of their forms and make sure that they were making space for that other option. And that, you know, starts to kind of domino. There's another domino effect here. You know, we're, we're creating that change by forcing this, this to be an issue, making sure that we put that X there and then everything else kind of uh, falls into place after that. We, you can get an X on your passport now because of Colorado and a couple other states that have started this. And, you know, that's, you know, going to cascade to a lot of other states, which are going to have to be able to put that on there. Because if someone has a passport with an X on it from, a one, from one state and they move to another, that state's going to have to do something about it because 
they're going to have to deal with that in a certain way. And, and that's going to, you know, it's a big win for non-binary people who just want to be recognized for who they are. And, and that, and it's okay, you know, be, be who you want to be. And we'll just, if that's the thing that makes, makes your life better and more complete, then we should do that. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that. And it's just, it's so important to highlight too. I feel like people just don't realize these little tiny details that can really impact someone's whole life. And I just, you know, little things like that. It's really great to highlight, but moving forward, I mean, we're definitely going to dive into this much deeper and ask more questions regarding it. But when it comes to like healthcare and insurance, are there policies in place in Colorado that protect access to healthcare for LGBTQ plus people? Yeah, yeah. Colorado put some protections in place a, a few years ago for for LGBTQ people and especially trans people. If if you're on the Medicaid program in Colorado, a lot of trans-related care is included in that. If you have a plan that is run by the state, those plans have to be able to accommodate trans care. Like that's part of the deal. The problem is that there are private insurance companies that don't have to play by those rules because they're not governed by the state insurance division. And, you know, that's where, you know, it gets a little messy. And then that's where a federal law would make sure that, you know, everything is kind of uniform across the different plans that we have. It's, it's always a big issue with, 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 with these kinds of things. And even when they have care, they still a lot of times try to deny people care. I, I had a problem with it myself when I changed my name uh, and gender on my insurance policy. They told me I had to have my birth certificate and everything changed before I could do that. And I was like, really? Like, that doesn't sound right. And, you know, I asked my doctor about it and she's like, no, that's, that's not true at all. Here, look up the ACA. And I looked up the ACA. And the ACA clearly says, like, the insurance company cannot deny trans people the, the right to be able to, to change their, their name and sex on, on a policy. And, you know, it took me to tell them that I was going to tell my lawyer to call them that they, that they changed their mind. But they always will challenge you because they think they can just brush you off because they know better than you because this is the business that they're in. But I mean, sometimes they don't like the regulations that they have and they try to get around it. And that's where, you know, legislators like myself, you know, when people have issues with things or they think that things aren't quite right or they don't really understand why this is a certain way, you know, that's where you know, someone can reach out to, to me or their representative in their state, and we can go ask and find out and, and ask them what to do because we have the authority to do that. Uh, you shouldn't have to go it alone, and that's you know that's what state representatives are are really good at. Absolutely, it's like having that allyship right there with you going through all the motions. I always like to talk about loopholes and. There's anything I've learned about insurance companies. I've been on so many insurances over my life that like if they think they can get away with something, they will do it. I honestly think they must just like, have fun. They're like, oh, today we're gonna like check this out. What loophole can we try? I'm like, no, thank you. So it's really nice to hear you don't have to go it alone. And I think that's a really 
would point to plug for everyone is that if you are having an issue, please do contact your state representatives. They will help you. That is their job. And that is why we only want to encourage more and more contact with your representatives because that is why they're there. They're for you to assist you in all these struggles and journeys and whatnot. So please do so. Of course, we want to transition into this issue a little bit further. So with this current and soon to be gone administration, thank the Lord, like literally, oh, we are like so close. There unfortunately were a ton of rollbacks in terms of legislation for all things LGBTQA+. So not cute. We don't like it. Not here for it. But of course, in order for us to fix these issues going forward, we kind of need to know what they are. So you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of like light and insight into what got pushed back and sort of what we can go go after and change moving forward. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the biggest one is is really that the, the administration was trying to allow healthcare providers to basically discriminate against LGBT people if they wanted to and using, you know, religious beliefs as the excuse to do it. And that's a really dangerous thing to do because now, you know, you're bringing in like your relig religious beliefs on top of what healthcare workers pledge an oath to do. <laughs> healthcare workers pledge an oath to help people and to do no harm and to not have the ability to do something for someone to help them like they're doing harm. So they're actually going against that, but you know the administration wanted to to give them the ability to to be able to do that. And what's really bad is that you know it sounds like well, I, if you live in a city, no big deal. I'll just go to another doctor. But you know, there's a lot of people that live in rural areas that don't have a lot of options, and they're stuck. And it's hard enough for LGBTQ people, especially trans people to go to the doctor sometimes because they don't get treated well. They, they get misgendered and, and just the doctors often don't know how to talk to people who are trans that don't have a lot of experience in it. And in places where they don't have a lot of options, it really gets to be uh, difficult. And then what, what ends up happening is that people don't get the coverage well, they don't, they, get, they don't get the care that they really need. They just don't go to the doctor anymore, even if they have coverage, because they don't want to be humiliated. They don't want to be mistreated. They don't want to uh, have to experience that going to someone who they feel like they can trust. So, you know, giving someone like that who is in a position of trust the ability to discriminate against you and treat you badly is just a really, really bad precedent to make. And that's something that I, I'm, I know that the next administration is going to make sure that we fix all that kinds of stuff to make sure that we're not continually to treat the LGBTQ people badly moving forward because it's hard enough on them as it is. We don't need to make it any harder. Yeah. So what are some of the first, I mean, it's kind of like a two-part question, but what are some of the hurdles that the LGBTQ community commonly faces with regard to healthcare? I know you kind of touched on that, but is there a few hurdles that you can highlight that we can also kind of provide people with the knowledge of like some of the policies that are then being made to just make sure that the community is served properly regarding healthcare? One of the biggest ones uh, is, is just the mistreatment and you know, just not being given the level of care that they normally would get if they were uh, cisgender people or, 
or not uh, a lesbian couple or, or being gay or something. There's a little bit of discrimination, you know, when it comes to getting HIV medications and things like that. You know, Colorado has been working on making access to that better because, you know, not providing those kinds of, of preventative medications for HIV you know, is an attack against a certain group of people who are really more vulnerable to that, that ailment. So those kinds of things need to be changed. You know, just access to a lot of the coverage that people get for trans care, that's a big barrier right now. A lot of states, the insurance companies won't cover it. They have to pay out of pocket and, you know, the expenses can really get out of control really, really fast. So, you know, making sure that people are just treated the way they are, the, the, what, what they need to feel good about themselves. And that includes, you know, care for trans people. Uh, if they want to get uh, gender confirmation surgery, then they should be able to get that. The, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, changing your voice is something that's very important to a lot of trans people who uh, are in places where, you know, if people knew that they were trans, they would have violence against them. It, it's about you know their livelihood and their health and security and safety. There's so many things that that are little things that really add up. And you know, I, I had a constituent that has a, a kid who's trans, and the insurance company wouldn't give them the the puberty blockers that they were that the doctor prescribed, and they fought them and said, no, well, it's not. We're not doing that. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. And I said let's go talk to the insurance commissioner and we'll, we'll straighten this out. And, and they finally did, but you know, that constituent never would have gotten a result because they kept, would have kept running them through the revolving door over and over again. And they never would have gotten a result without an intervention. So, you know, it doesn't apply in all States where, where, you know, someone like me can do that because the laws don't always protect you. So know what your local law is, but there are a lot of things that, you know, even when there is a law, the insurance company is still going to try to, to rip you off. And, and we need to make sure that that kind of thing doesn't happen, that they don't keep getting away with it because then people are like, well, I thought we had coverage for, for trans related care in this state. I'm like, well, yeah, you do, but they're just not giving it to you. And let's do something about that. So, you know, when we have, stronger laws and stronger penalties to the insurance companies to do these kinds of things, then they start to pay attention. If, it's a, if there's a federal law that, that mandates that stuff, it's going to be a lot harder for them to get around. So it, it's going to be, uh, that's a kind of a bigger stick to, to force them to do what they need to do. And I have a, a strong feeling that the Biden administration is really going to step up and, and make a lot of the changes uh, that we need to make sure that you know LGBTQ people, especially trans people, are getting the care that they need. Absolutely, yeah. Really excited to see what these these four years bring. Fingers crossed on lots of good changes. In the meantime, like some of these issues, as constituents, you know, need to be able to figure out, okay, how do I solve this problem? What do you recommend for constituents, everyone that's not an elected official, to do in terms of pushing some of these policies forward? Is there a way that they can? get involved or sort of be activists amongst themselves? Oh yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways. You know, it all depends on 
your level of how how much you want to do and how how comfortable you are public speaking you know you can get involved by you know finding organizations that that are supporting the things that you want to accomplish and they have activities you can do sending postcards to your representatives you can get involved by directly going to the capital the state capital and talking to your your representative in person if they're a good representative or senator they will talk to you and they will they will allow you to have some time to, to talk to them about it it's part of the job that's what they're there for is to interact with people about issues that are important to them uh, even when they don't agree they need to talk to you so you know do your best to try to to talk to to them directly if you can if there's a bill that's important to you that's happening at your uh, state level if you can go to the capitol and actually testify and tell your story personal stories are really really important when it comes to swaying people on, on different topics so you know i heard a lot of stories about you know the the crippling cost of healthcare on families and we had people tell us about how their medical bills got out of control and and they, you know they had to sell their house and move into a, their their family because they couldn't afford it those are things that you know, when they affect real people it's not just a policy you know there are people attached to it and and those stories are really compelling and they go into the permanent record and, and they can always be going back to, 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 to listen to. And those are really things that really help sway things. I love that. I feel like that's not highlighted enough at all. I definitely <laughs> want to say I'm continuing to like tell people that on our show too. It's like, it's not just about, you know, emailing or calling your representative to, you know, tell them what kind of policy you want to see. There's that, but it's also so interesting to like keep keep in touch and be aware of the policies that are, you know, being heard at your local state and federal government and see if you can get involved in that process of telling your story. I think that's so powerful and a part of civic engagement that's maybe forgotten, but I th- I love that. I love that you highlighted that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it is really overlooked and there there are a couple problems though. You know, Denver is where the capital is, so if you I want to travel from the far corner of the state to go testify in a bill is a large commitment of time. And that is a bit of a barrier for some people to do. But if you're able to do it, do that, you know, show up and, and give your, your testimony. You usually get two or three minutes of time to say whatever you want. That's your right as a citizen to do. And if you can't, you can always write it down and send it in also on behalf of that bill, because that's going to also go into the record and then people will be able to to know what your story is that way and your voice is important and you know when when i'm up there making decisions on things you know it's not just the lobbyists that that i want to hear from i want to hear from the people who are affected by these things because that's who it's really going to impact and that's that's the most important part totally i love that that's perfect way to wrap everything up this has been amazing thank you so much i mean this is definitely a topic that we have yet to cover but we're so happy we did and we're so happy that you came on to do this for us and you know hopefully a topic that we continue to highlight and cover and push out there because it definitely needs way more awareness and way more you know people with their eyes on it and some more activism too so 
thank you for everything that you shared. Yeah. You know, always reach out to your local LGBTQ organizations. They're the ones that are going to be advocating on behalf of a lot of the LGBTQ healthcare issues and, and other issues pertaining to them. And that's how I got involved in politics was going to them and then lobbying my legislators on bills. So, you know, if you don't feel comfortable just going at it on your own, those groups are going to be great because you'll, you'll have like-minded people, you know, to have conversations with and feel a little bit more confident going and talking to the big scary legislators, you know, which we're not really scary. We're just, we're just people. No, we're just average folk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's, you know, we just try to break those barriers down. We're, we're not, we're not ivory tower people. We're just people here to do a job and you, you deserve to have all the, the time to talk to me uh, just as much as anyone else. And, and a lot of people forget that and they don't realize it, but that's power and, and make sure you're, you're wielding your power. On to our top stories of the week, because Lord knows it's been crazy um, because I guess we just like don't live in a world anymore where we have n- normal headlines, but maybe after this month, once we get this administration out, I don't know. But first story is a big one and one that we have been talking about for a long time now, and that's the Georgia runoffs, which as we record today on Tuesday, January 5th, people are out to vote for the Georgia runoffs. Again, the Georgia runoff is a kind of rematch for two Senate seats that were up for election in November of 2020. There were two races, and neither of the candidates made it to 50%, which is, according to Georgia election law, what you need to um, win the election for a Senate seat in Georgia. So now they are all going for a rematch. Well, there's two different races going for a rematch. And those two seats determine who controls the Senate. Who do we have controlling the Senate, Sam? Cockwalk McConnell. McConnell. <laughs> yes, but the story with the Georgia runoff today is the U.S. Senate and Biden's a- entire agenda as president is at stake in these elections because if the U.S. Senate is in Republican control, then they often will not let you know any of Biden's agenda go through. So it's a big deal. And so Tuesday, voters in Georgia cast their ballots in those pair of runoff elections to determine the control of the U.S. Senate and potentially the fate of, you know, President-elect Joe Biden's ambitious legislative agenda. So we have Republican Senators David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler facing the Democratic challengers John Ossoff. He is also a documentary filmmaker and a journalist. Like, we love a man on the ground, you know? Mm. He's kind of got that, like, artsy vibe now. Okay, we're, we're seeing more of this. Interesting. Right? We're seeing more, and it's, it's looking good. And then we also have Reverend Raphael Warnock, who is a pastor at a black church in Atlanta. But, yeah, Democrats must win both contests. And so a double win for Democrats would create a 50-50 split in the Senate, leaving Vice President-elect Kamala Harris with the tie-breaking vote. So that would give Democrats ultimate control of the chamber. And then the Democrats already have the majority in the House of Representatives. So if Republicans hold on to the Senate, they would effectively wield veto power over Biden's political and judicial appointees, as well as many of his policy initiatives like economic relief, 
COVID, climate change, healthcare, criminal justice, the list goes on. We might see results coming in late, similarly to what we experienced a couple months ago. But there's also been record-breaking numbers of voters, a voter turnout this far in this runoff election, and it's broken records for runoffs in Georgia. So that's going to be really exciting to see how those turn out. Again, it's a really big deal. But this could be it. I am really curious to see what happens. Georgia's on our minds. And the second story that we have for you guys is also about Georgia. This story is spicy. So background from a classic like Sam perspective is I've been watching The Crown, which is like so unlike me because not into like historical drama or whatever. Anyways, all they talk about is like, <gasps> scandal to the family. Oh my goodness, that could be a scandal, a scandal. Like, and then also like Bridgerton too. And this just feels right in line with that. Basically what happened, President Trump urged a fellow Republican, so someone of his own party, the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, to quote, find, like doing a little funny, like fake quote situation over here, enough votes to overturn his defeat in a one hour phone call. So unfortunately he's a little behind on a lot of things, including figuring out what's legal and what's not. But in this call, which the Washington Post obtained a whole recording of, which I highly recommend listening to after you hop off this episode. But basically, Trump literally berates the Secretary of State, who's like a hardcore conservative Republican, like absolutely like in line, same party. He begged him to act. He threatened him with vague criminal consequences. Essentially, if the Secretary of State refused to pursue Trump's false claims. At one point, he literally said that the Secretary of State was taking a, quote, big risk by not doing this for him. So the leader of the free world is threatening a Secretary of State. It's just pure desperation at this point. It's it's insane. I mean, and if you listen to that call, you can hear it for yourself. Um, again, like, it's very, I think, important to highlight the fact that he is, you know, begging and threatening the Secretary of State of Georgia, who, again, is just a very conservative Republican. Like, he is normally on Trump's side, but is like, dude, I don't know what I... There's nothing I can do for you here. But I did want to highlight my favorite quote from the call, if you would allow me to. Is that okay? Yes, please. Please do go ahead. Okay. This is a quote from President Trump. All I want to do is this. I just want to find 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have because we won the state. So to translate, he wants 11,780 votes, which is how much he lost by. It's just ridiculous. I think there might be something wrong with like his frontal lobe. I don't know. The world doesn't work like this. And I think, you know, the following stories we have here are in a similar fashion of everything going on. I feel like these are all kind of connected right now because, you know, while Trump is begging for the Georgia Secretary of State to essentially hand him over some extra votes so he can win the state. You know, we also have a big effort from multiple Republican senators and congressmen to basically try to overturn Biden's win when Congress goes to, you know, certify and ratify the election results. We'll start with U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, the little troll he is. So he's leading a long-shot Republican bid to overturn Biden's victory. So Ted Cruz on Saturday said he will spearhead an effort 
to get nearly a dozen Republican senators to challenge President-elect Joe Biden's victory when the Electoral College results are tallied in the Congress on January 6th. And it's a largely symbolic move that, you know, has virtually no chance of actually preventing Biden from taking office. But Cruz's effort is really just in defiance of Senate Republican leaders who have argued that the Senate's role in certifying the election is largely like ceremonial and had been like looking to avoid an extended debate on the floor about the outcome. So basically, there's no actual pathway here to overturn the election. Yet we have these Republican Congress members and senators, you know, just trying to stir up some ruckus. So it's just all very odd. But, you know, in a statement, Cruz and the other 10 senators said they intend to vote to reject electors from states that have been at the center of President Trump's like unproven assertions of election fraud. And they said that Congress should immediately appoint a commission to conduct an emergency 10 day audit of the election results in those states, which is just like. What in the world? I just can't. And these efforts have been thrown out in nearly every court across this country, this great country. And not to mention courts with sitting judges that Trump appointed. It's ridiculous. And it's also just concerning because it is like literally an affront on democracy and our government as a whole. And that the lessening of the confidence in our government and our systems is the opposite of where we should be going. And so like to do this, it's just pathetic. But this guy, like, I'm sorry, Ted Cruz, but like Trump hates you. What are you doing? I think they're all in the mud and like they're just like doing whatever they can to keep Trump in office. Why are you so desperate? But there's another arm kind of to this story, which is when, you know, Congress ratifies the election results, then the vice president then signs off on that essentially. And so there's this other kind of drama scandal just happening on the side here. So basically when the vice president signs off on the election results, that's also a like very ceremonial, like symbolic moment. It's not actually like the vice president ultimately decides who the next president is. Like they have no grounds to actually decide this election. So again, it's very ceremonial when the vice president finally signs off on this. So Basically, a U.S. appeals court rejects lawmakers' bid to have Pence, our vice president, overturn Biden's win. So a federal appeals court on Saturday rejected a Republican congressman's bid to allow Vice President Mike Pence to overturn President-elect Joe Biden's November 3rd election victory and like flip it in favor of President Trump. So in a brief order, a three-judge panel of the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals upheld a federal judge's decision on Friday to toss the U.S. representatives. It was Louis Gohmert created this lawsuit, which had argued that Pence had the power to invalidate Biden's win when Congress meets to certify the results on January 6th. So again, this just like is just grasping at straws, like pulling shit out of your ass at this point. Like the vice president cannot do this. It's really, again, it's a ceremonial, just traditional thing our country does to have the vice president do this. And they're really trying to like flip it into basically completely undermining our entire democracy and everyone's votes and flipping it in favor of Trump. Like, I'm just mind blown. But at the same time, Vice President Pence has, for the most part, been saying that he will, you know, sign off on the election results as much as Trump is now badgering Pence to flip it. Vice President Pence apparently has been, like, you know, trying to kind of 
simmer down President Trump and this is what I have to do. I'm going to sign off on it. So they're just all petty little shits and I'm just so over them. It's ridiculous. And it's also just like so shitty because it's like they're playing with people's lives, you know? And it's like, even too, like the delays and the stuff that they're doing, like not helpful to anyone. Sigh, Nara. Like get your butts out of here. Get out of here. And like, again, we'll probably see some congressional Republicans attempt to object at the electoral count. But again, this has no chance of actually altering the outcome. So again, petty little shits. We have some other news about Nancy Pelosi. So Pelosi was reelected as the U.S. House Speaker amid tons of political uncertainty. So obviously what we just described, what we call political uncertainty. What the hell is going on? Honestly, does anyone know? I don't think anyone even knows what year it is anymore. So Nancy Pelosi was narrowly reelected Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. So this past Sunday, as new Congress took office, obviously all this political uncertainty still happening. Questions on Georgia, still happening, but this happened. So the House voted 216 to 209 to reinstate Pelosi after Democrats lost 11 seats in the November elections to demand a narrower 222 to 212 majority. Five Democrats chose not to support her, which is interesting and something we'll definitely be diving into a little bit further another time, so stay tuned. The narrower balance of power in both chambers this year could also encourage moderates from each party to flex their political muscles, especially after Trump, please, leaves the White House on January 20th and Biden, who ran as centrist, takes office. So we'll see what happens, but Nancy Pelosi has definitely gotten the heat over the years, but she's also then got some love. I mean, we got to think back in time to the red coat moment. Everyone was obsessed. Then we had the paper ripping situation last year, which legendary to some, the worst to others. But we will definitely be interested to see where her relationship with everyone new, old, and in between sort of takes things, especially once Biden gets into office. It'll depend on what happens in the Senate, really, to know how she's going to act as the house speaker because i think one of the reasons she had to be quote-unquote divisive or just with all the dramatics was because of the environment she was in with like having to deal with a republican senate and a republican president she had to be really fierce she had to like really get after people and kind of hold it down for the democrats but yeah i mean i think there's just this conversation of whether we need new new leaders in the Democratic Party because it's changing. And, you know, we have all these really incredible new faces coming in that are proposing new bright ideas. And we need a House speaker that is going to be open-minded to those. So hopefully Nancy will have a little bit, like, less pressure on her and will be able to actually, like, have more of an open mind to those policies. And it'll be interesting, interesting to see. But, yeah, that's the top stories of this week there's honestly probably more hopefully when people are listening to this there'll be an understanding of what's happening in the georgia runoff and i think regardless of what happens in georgia like stacy abrams is just absolutely just a queen and like will always be winning and she flipped that state purple and it's a battleground state now and that's a huge victory and you know she will she will take over in the next couple years and like we always say it's a long game out here so Whatever happens, there's a lot to be proud of in Georgia. Georgia's on our minds. It really is. I just never thought I would think so much about Georgia. Yeah, Georgia's looking cute right now. She's looking cute. But don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, 
and we will see you all next Wednesday. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.